Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. We hope today that you get encouraged, that you get edified, you get blessed, you get challenged, you get encouraged, maybe even uh, some things that would challenge you in such a deep way as to transform areas of your life. We're honored to have with us a, a guest, Seth Drury, pastoring uh, in Arkansas, on a tremendous testimony of uh, how God touched him out of college and brought him into a ministry. And I think I'm going to share some important things. Seth, welcome to our podcast. Glad you're with us today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah, we're going to talk today uh, a little bit about your life story. If you grew up in a, a Christian home, a non-Christian home. Yeah, I grew up in church. I, I grew up uh, going to, um, uh, saved at a young age, grew up in a Baptist church. Um, our mom took us regularly every Sunday. I mean, it was uh, a background growing up where that was where I grew up in, and it was um is a great foundation for me. So, so that was my background. Baptized in the church and, and saved at probably I think I was eight or nine, wow. something like that. That's young. Um, and grew up in church. Yeah, so. No, uh, no uh, sort of. I, f- I find people have two different experiences growing up the church. One or three, maybe one is they stay faithful and strong and growing day by day. The other is sort of a. Just maybe an, an emotional lapse, like you, you don't really backslide and go into the world, uh, but you just sort of either forget your faith or have some doubts. And the third one is sort of a radical departure where you get into drugs and uh, sleeping around, all kinds of problems. Uh, any of those uh, similar to your story? I think for me, I, I stayed in church my whole life. I was involved, but there were definitely some teenage years where uh, it wasn't necessarily the most important thing in my life. But at the same time, for me and my my journey was the church was kind of a godsend and a a lifeboat for me in some different areas. My um, I first felt a call to ministry when I was uh, 14, 15 years old, but kind of struggled with that call, didn't want to do that, had other plans for life and that kind of thing. And then um, eventually, uh, you know, when you battle against God, you usually lose. And, and so eventually the Lord really just spoke to me about this is who I created you to be and, and I'm calling you to a life of ministry to trust me with that. And then very soon that that kind of surrender to that call was when I was 16 years old. And um, actually a week later after I finally had that surrender in that Baptist church at age 16, um, our, my family experienced an immense tragedy. I have a younger brother, four years younger than me, who passed away in a car accident. I was 16. He was 12 years old. Wow. And to me, um, what I saw coming out of that tragedy was a church that surrounded my family and me and cared for us and was there for us. And so um, I embraced, I, I'm going to go crazy if I don't have this church family, wow. you know, like this is when you're, when your family's hurting and, and there's just such a senseless tragedy that you can't make sense out of. And and you ask all the questions and, and need all the answers and those kinds of things. And there really are no answers to those kinds of tragedies, you know, but there is a loving community that can come alongside you and wrap their arms around you and carry you through and grieve with you, cry with you, but also celebrate with you as you, as you work through that grief process. And so for me, the local church became so important. If you don't mind me asking, um, were you in the car with your brother in the accident or I was not. I was in another car. We were coming. We were in, very active in Boy Scouts growing up, and we were coming home from a camping trip. 
and I was in another car in the caravan and there's, it was, there's two vehicles. I was in one and my little brother was in another one with, uh, and he and, and three others passed away that day in a car accident. So I was there on the scene, but I wasn't in the Yeah, car. that had to be, uh, I, I can't even imagine the, the trauma, how traumatic an event that is to your own little brother there in, in the, you know, and, uh, I guess you were on the scene and, uh. Uh, that uh, so you would need uh, not only a loving community, but you would need. Uh, so I don't know if you want to call it healing or just uh, the process of the right. grieving journey and stuff. That's because that's a uh, that's unheard of, man. I, I just don't. I can't picture anybody having to go through that. And like you said, it seems it seems senseless, but I've always believed with all my heart. And you know, I don't want to speak into your experience. That's 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 between you and God and your church. But for me, it seems like we may not know it, but God God knows. He's he's up to something. Uh, you know, he, he is, mm-hmm. he is, um, he's not out of control and he's not losing sight of things and, and, uh, his plans sure. and purposes are, you know, ultimately for our good. But, you know, again, that's, it's easy to say Absolutely. from the you know, perspective of a, a spectator, but when you see that and go through that yourself, it's gotta be, uh, that, and, and yet at the same time, that was right around the same time you were kind of committing your life to give it all to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And that's yes. That didn't throw you off at all? Like, well, maybe I, maybe I don't want this Jesus thing if it's going to be like this. Yeah, it did. But I think it goes back to why I believe in the local church so much is because, yes, I, there were all the questions, all the doubts, all the why did this happen, all those kinds of things. But for me and in, in my experience, I like I, it's no exaggeration. I could have just gone absolutely crazy. But I had a community of faith to surround me and just love me and care for me. And it wasn't even just the local church, but we were from a small community. That tragedy just kind of wrecked our entire community, really. And to see a community come together around these families that were hurting so much, it was like, wow, this there's power in this there. And um, and and not so much, you know, like you said, yes, I do believe in the sovereignty of God, that God's in control as far as how life ends up and how the universe ends up. But, but as far as I, I, at least for me and my experience, I couldn't go to that place where you would have people tell you where well, that happened because God needed your little brother more than you did that kind of stuff. That's just not effective and not healthy for me, at least to look at it that way. Well, I think, I think the problem there, sorry to interrupt. I, I'm, I apologize. I'm, I'm trying not to interrupt people, but I get so excited about what they're saying. You know, you know, some of the things that people say, like God needs, more, you know, that, uh, you know, that's a whole point. That's a whole, you know, teaching series in itself. You could teach, you know, as a pastor, you could teach six weeks on that. The idea of God needing something, you know, that he, that, that he is lacking in something and needs somebody yes. to support him or worship him or love him. You know, like, uh, you know, and, and I, I just think God is, is not a God who needs us. We need him. And, uh, but anyway, back to your story. So I interrupted you. Please continue. No, no, I, I completely agree. Exactly. I think there's lots of theological issues with that whole conversation but i think people try to grasp for reasons you grasp for an explanation for things and to me i ended up and where i'm at in my life is the reason is we just live in an imperfect world we live in a fallen imperfect world and bad things happen but we have a loving god to run to in the times of our our pain and our hurts when we need healing and god often works through his people and and he brings that healing and that love and that and that's how, what I experienced in the community. So yes, I I had those struggles and those doubts and those fears. And there were times where, 
throughout, even knowing I was called into ministry where I wasn't necessarily always actively pursuing that call or living in accordance with that call. But God's been faithful and he's shown, you know, been graceful enough to me to to be able to have these kind of tentpole experiences in life that solidified no, this is what God's doing in my life and I can trust him. And, and looking back, seeing, oh, his hand was on this yeah, the entire time. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's powerful, Seth. I'm so glad you came through that way. And uh, obviously it's brought you to the place where you are today. Getting to the place you are today took you through your first ministry experience. Was it, uh, I know you mentioned you'd been involved quite a bit in your ministry with Teen Challenge. Uh, how did you, you know, if you grew up in a local church like that, it seemed like you'd be, you'd go the normal trajectory. Uh, I'm going to be a, you know, a volunteer at the church, then a youth pastor, then an associate pastor, then maybe one day a senior pastor. You seem to take a different uh, journey. How, how did you come to that that course of life? I had the very wise counsel of a pastor in my Baptist church growing up that when I answered the call to ministry or surrendered to that call, that he sat down and talked to me through some things. He gave some great advice that worked for me. I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for everyone, but he said the traditional route, go to Bible college, get a degree, get ordained, maybe go to seminary. And he encouraged me to go to a state university or a a secular school. And his reasoning when he told me that was, don't go to a school where you just learn how to talk to other Christians. Learn, go to a school where you can learn and relate to people who don't see life the way you see life and see the world the way you've seen it. Now, not everyone maybe that would be a good idea to go that route with, but it was such a huge blessing to me. So I didn't go to a the typical like Bible college, you know, route kind of kind of thing. I went to the College of William and Mary in Virginia, which um, very uh, uh, uh cosmopolitan, um, melting pot type school, uh, different viewpoints and different views, but I studied religious studies there. And so from a secular viewpoint, studying all kinds of religions and, and, uh, that was an interesting journey and, and uh, the, the, well. uh, so, the religious department there, would you, I, I'm going to assume it would be liberal, like even when it comes to the scriptures, it would be not necessarily inerrancy of scripture or. Right. It was, um, it, it was definitely a more secular, uh, almost anthropological study of religion and looking at the history and the cultural surroundings of the various religions. But I took a lot of biblical studies classes, and most of my biblical studies professors were practicing Christians. And so they might have been on different levels of this political spectrum and theological spectrum, but claiming Christ, people who claimed Christ. And so uh, it was it was very interesting. I didn't have the college experience of the professor who tries to talk you out of faith. Every one of my professors, even ones that weren't necessarily Christians, encouraged you to pursue what you believed in, but know why and be able to support it. Yeah, and, I think uh, that's getting rarer, rarer and rarer today as more and more yeah, professors are trying yes. to persuade young people to come out of their faith and many doing doing so quite successfully. My my son, my son Evan works um, sure. with World Challenge and in a branch of our ministry called Faith Answers. And it's an apologetic thing for high school and college age students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're seeing more and more uh, trajectory of leaving the church or leaving the faith behind. And uh, yeah, we need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening to to rock this uh, nation of ours or we're, or we're in trouble. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit more in the later on in our podcast. But uh, so so uh, then after college, you you're so you're already on the 
Okay. Well, during college, um, I, like I said, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, um, but I had a, I had some Pentecostal background, charismatic background in my family. So during college, I started visiting some other churches and I ended up in an Assemblies of God church and uh, not even sure if I believed everything that they believed, that kind of thing. But I had some just undeniable experiences with the Holy Spirit as I was growing in my faith and becoming a little bit more independent from just what you'd always been taught kind of things. I remember kind of studying in college and wondering, well, what about this whole like book of Acts and like half of First Corinthians that we never talk about, you know, and, and, and what about those things? So I started exploring that and I ended up in an AG, in an AG church, was filled with the Holy Spirit um, during my freshman year of college, uh, but still active in the Baptist collegiate ministry at school too. So it's kind of, a, you know, a, a eclectic background there for me. Um, but that was where I first heard about Teen Challenge was okay. in the AG yeah, church. Well, that was a, quite an experience to... Uh, you know, grow up pretty much in the Baptist world where, you know, and, and the Baptists are, there's quite a broad spectrum. They go all the way from sort of very open to the gifts. Uh, one of my closest friends growing up in high school, his father was the pastor of uh, First Baptist in a little town in Texas. And, um, you know, it would certainly not be, you know, a spirit-filled church as we might call it, but it wasn't either the cessationist of there's no gifts for today, uh, you know, and, and, uh, his son and I in high school were close friends, and he went on to pastor a very large and successful church in Texas. And, you know, every time we have a conversation, he's always asking me about, like, you know, hey, this thing, you know, he's so interested in the things of uh, of the book of Acts, the, the things of the spirit falling and the speaking in tongues and the gifts and the power encounters that we can have with God. So that's a, so, you know, you had that, and that was quite a kind of thing. Let me, it just reminds me of a story real quick I just want to share with you, and, and maybe those listening. Um, because it reminds me uh, that I was in Cuba some years ago and met the uh, bishop of the Methodist church there. There's 800 Methodist churches, a number of them underground. And they, um, how they became from transition from a traditional sort of a Methodist type church to a spirit-filled, you know, believing in the gifts, believing in healing, uh, believing in the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is quite a unique story. The, uh, the bishop told me he, he was pastor of a not an underground church, but a uh, one of the few churches that were allowed to meet in a in a building, and they had probably a handful of people, maybe 20, 30 people, and it was you know dead and dry. And he was trying his best. And he said, "There's two young men in this church, and they read they were reading the Bible together, and they read the Book of Acts, and it said you know they were filled with you know the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in tongues, and then they, Peter began to preach with power." And they said, "You know we don't have that power, Pastor, in our church. What's wrong?" And he, of course, he felt offended by that. And he said, "No, go home. That's that's not for today. That's that's those gifts have ceased for today." And they, and they went home. And just said, well, "We can't believe this in the Bible." So they came back to the pastor a second time, and he sort of gently rebuked them. But he, they said to him, "We're not leaving. We're going to go to the front, uh, the altar of the church where the benches are. They're the kneeling benches, and we're not going to move until we get what happened to the 120 in that room." And he and he, he laughed and said, "Yeah, you can stay there, but you're going to, you know." You're not going to come out with anything, and they. But a couple of days later, after sleeping there in the church, uh, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with power. And the pastor walked in, asked them to explain it to them what happened to them, and then right there and then he got filled with God's Holy Spirit and uh, began to speak in tongues. And and now, you know, long story short, or actually, it's already been a long story, but I'm trying to try to make it a little shorter, um, that there was an amazing revival in in Cuba among the Methodist churches. And they, they are among the most radical, fervent. Uh, you know, the, this church now has probably over a thousand people. 
And on the walls of the church, there's like crutches and, and wheelchairs, not in the big sort of uh, evangelist, you know, uh, U.S. kind of TV show evangelist, uh, very down to earth. You know, this is this is Mary's wheelchair. She 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 couldn't walk into our church. Now she's sitting in the third row, you know, real stuff. And, um, you know, so I just I'm glad you got that experience. Uh, I, I'm glad I did, too. Um, sometimes I'm concerned about the state of the charismatic church. There's a lot of uh, craziness, and a lot of foolishness, and a lot of false teaching, a lot of non-teaching, like it's just experiential. A lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, borrowing of pop psychology and having you know, feel-good talks. That concerns me. But what doesn't concern me is is that we have something from God, and if we can marry the Word with the Spirit, as many churches want to do, and I'm sure you do as well, then we can. I think we can see. What they saw in, in Cuba, uh, uh, an awakening where you know, thousands and thousands came to Christ. And churches were planted all over the country. And um, you know, I'm glad you experienced that. And I hope, I hope that stays with you and, and that zeal and that fire. And that, so that was, that was a pretty big change. And then that, did that affect your, your calling in a sense or where you felt like you are going to be heading? Yeah, because I I didn't know, you know, at that point, there's like, you change denominations, what what does that mean? You know, what this is my background. And so I went kind of on some soul searching of where do I feel called and where do I feel is my tribe and where do I, you know, can I fit in? Um, and uh, ended up being very plugged in to a local Assemblies of God Church. The pastor, Brother T.R. King, uh, really invested in me and in into me just a small church in Virginia rural church and um, and just he began to meet with me talk with me mentor me and and uh, we just became a friend someone I could trust so he got me started kind of on the credentialing process which it's not all about papers and credentials and I, I get all that but it was a home for me that it, that um, where I could ask those questions and get some legitimate answers and, and experience some new things and, and go deeper into these new experiences I was having with God, which were awesome. And that kind of led into, I don't know what I'm going to do next. You know, the, the, the idea was you graduate college and then go to seminary somewhere and, and, and go that direction. But was that right? And the Lord kind of started dealing with me about that. Is that the right direction to go? And I was um, graduating college in the spring of 2011 and trying to figure out where I was going to go next. Was I going to apply to a seminary? I had professors encouraging me to apply to some Ivy League seminaries and different things. Or do you just go and there was an opportunity to go volunteer in missions for a year, all different. And I just was confused and didn't know where to go. And this is where the story kind of comes in with your family. And it's, it's just such a cool story. I tell it all the time. I had heard inklings about Teen Challenge being involved in an Assembly of God church for about a couple of years, uh, but didn't know much about it at all. And one day, it was in April of 2011, I was in a Barnes & Noble bookstore in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I was looking at a bookshelf, and on the very bottom shelf, there was a reduced price copy, 99-cent copy of Crossing the Switchblade. And I was like, oh, I've, I've heard of this book before. Uh, I've heard people talk about it. And so I pulled that book out. It was one of those, like, mass media paperbacks, you know, real cheapo and, and 99 cents. And I took it home and I read it in like a day and a half. I read the whole thing and just, just was glued to it and just fell in love with it. And the Lord used that book. I remember the Lord kind of just speaking to my heart very clearly. This is what you're going to do next. 
you're gonna you're gonna get involved with Teen Challenge. And I knew all I knew about Teen Challenge so far was there were a few ministries named Teen Challenge and there was this book. That's all I knew. And so I found Teen Challenge online. I went to their national website. There were five centers on the website that were hiring at the time. I emailed all five of them and only one responded. And it was the Boys Teen Challenge Ranch in Morrow, Arkansas. And they emailed me back and said they were interested in interviewing me. Uh, crazy. They they flew me out. They paid for me to fly to Arkansas to, to interview. And the interview was at on the Buffalo River in Arkansas. The boys were out camping. And so my interview was on a camping trip. It was just amazing. Uh, and if you've never been to the Buffalo River in Arkansas, it's the most beautiful place on earth. And it was the spring. Everything was green. Now, what's really interesting is a week later that they, I went in May, but I read the book in April. A week after reading the book was the week that your dad passed away. And so then on top of reading the book and hearing about Teen Challenge, there's all these things and you know, the huge newspapers publish stories about your dad and, and different things. So I got to learn more about the ministry and about a Times Square Church and about the different uh, about world challenge and stuff. And so it was like I was being bombarded with this stuff about Teen Challenge and it was just okay, God, you're, you're speaking right now. And, and so they hired me and um, I moved there in July of 2011. And I packed up all my stuff in the back of my pickup truck and drove across the country and uh, ha- didn't even know how much I was going to make working there. I had no idea. Just, you know, like just stepped out in faith and went. And um, it that's that's how that all started and where I got started in ministry. My first ministry assignment was with Teen Challenge. Most, uh, most of the staff at Teen Challenge have come through the program. And uh, f- for you to step into that is, is uh, right. it's pretty bold. It's an unusual uh, way. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never done drugs. I didn't have any recognition of, or, or familiarity with that background at all. I remember praying. It was a tough uh, 18-hour drive from Virginia to Arkansas when I was married because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm completely clueless. What do I do? And, and it was one, another one of those moments where where I felt like the Spirit just spoke to me and said, but you know how to, how to serve me. You're learning how to serve me, teach other people, you know, and and that's just teach people to love Jesus. And that's that's was my approach to ministry. Now it was a little different because the teen challenge I worked at was an adolescent center. And so with adolescents, most of the staff weren't former teen challenge. Yeah. yeah you're, you're working with people that haven't had a 20 year uh, heroin addiction and five years in prison. And, you know, it's a, right. a bit of a different crowd. Uh, none, uh, troubled though, nonetheless, for yeah. sure. It's interesting though, even though you didn't have that kind of background yourself, you you mentioned you were in the Boy Scouts. Uh, did that help a little bit being uh, at a boy's ranch on a river? Yeah, I think that's what helped me get hired there um, because there, I, I know when they were hiring me, I found out later they were a little skeptical because there, here was this kid that went to a liberal college, you know, and, and didn't have any ministry background training and didn't have much of an AG background. And, and, you know, and so one of the things I was an Eagle Scout. And so that was, I think, one of the things that helped tip me over the edge to get hired. And it was Teen Challenge. The center I worked at is called Teen Challenge Adventure Ranch. And it was highly adventure based camping trips going out every week. Um, we do equine therapy, equine assisted therapy with horses. Um, uh, lots of outdoor activities. It's it's really a, a great ministry, and I'm actually now I'm pleased to uh, and honored to serve on the board of directors there. So, 
Excellent. And uh, your pastoring is in the same town as where the adventure is? No, I'm about two hours away now. Um, yes, sir. Local. Uh, I, I got married in 2017 to the children's pastor at the church we were uh, I was attending at the time. And we've been married since 2017. We had a little girl in 2018. And thank you. And uh, her name's Ainsley. And she uh, she's born in September 2018, and we started pastoring in October 2018. So a uh, little bit crazy that we did all that in a month. But <laughs> well, uh, Seth, thanks for sharing that story. I'm honored that the Cross and Switchblade and my the Father's ministry and World Challenge could have an and Teen Challenge have an impact on your life, uh, having to do with your calling. And that's that that's a story that I hear and and always you know even now my dad's passed away 10 years ago always just thrilled to hear, you know, I never grow tired of it. And, you know, the impact that his ministry had on so many lives, the, you know, the Teen Challenge programs, like 1,400 centers around the world now helping. I I tried to do the math one day, I'm not sure I'm accurate, but there's at any given time, there's like 20,000 residents in in Teen Challenge Center somewhere in the world getting set free. Uh, So that's incredible. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.